Good morning. So I've got a question for you. What makes the great great? What makes the great great? So today we're in Boston. And in fact, we did the Boston Freedom Trail just a little while ago. And that was incredible. And then before that, we went to the uh, John, John Adams Memorial and where he lived and the house that he was raised in and the house that he bought with Abigail. And then we later went to the church where John Adams and his wife Abigail and John Quincy Adams, his son, the sixth president, was also buried with his wife underneath his church. And it was so moving that I almost began to cry. And of course, Nancy began to cry and the kids were somewhat emotional, but it was amazing in the sense that we're sitting there under this church, right? And we're looking at these, these tombs in the crypt of the second president of the U.S. and the sixth president, and there's nobody around. There was the five of us and then three other folks plus the tour guide. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't this particular situation, location, why aren't there people there crowded? Why isn't there a line every day for blocks and blocks to visit and pay homage to one of these great two men? What makes the great great? We were in Italy and Florence and we got to see the David by Michelangelo. It's one of my favorites, if not my absolute favorite piece of art. And it's incredible. If you haven't seen it, it is an incredible thing to at some point in your life to see. It took me 44 years to get there, but eventually I got there. And it's incredible. And Michelangelo is probably known as the best sculptor that we know of, right? Not just his generation, not just in terms of recent, but ever. Bernini was also a genius. Yet Michelangelo was known as the sculptor. And what's interesting is that Michelangelo saw things differently than everybody else saw things. Let me explain. And before I think or talk about that, let me ask you this once again. What makes the great great? And of course, there are dozens, if not hundreds of books trying to describe this. There are seminars that people give in terms of, you know, let me give you the secrets to success, right? Everybody's now cashing in on the secrets of success, right? And, you know, here's what makes people great. And everybody thinks they have the answer. And sometimes we have really very successful people monetarily trying to tell us what the answer is. They'll get up on stage or they'll write a book or they'll do a seminar or they'll do a podcast, much like this one, and they'll explain to you, here's what makes people great or here are the secrets to success, right? And they have their secrets and their steps and all kinds of stuff. And you read them and you listen to them or you watch them and you go, sure, I, I understand that. And yet, why don't they all agree? If success was a paint by numbers, if there really was only a few steps, wouldn't everybody figure them out and agree? Why do we keep getting these interpretations of all of these steps and or attributes and characters and traits and whatever have you or principles to happiness and success and wealth and riches and all that stuff? It's a great question, isn't it? What makes the great great? So let me ask you this. Uh, by the way, on a side note, sometimes these guys and gals that are very successful monetarily, they in, sometimes in sort of good conscience want to tell us what makes them great. What did they do? What attributes, what characteristics, what skill sets did they apply in order to become successful? However, 
in my experience, just because somebody achieved success in the field doesn't mean they actually know how they got there. They might look at correlation versus causation. And I think if you read a lot of these books, you'll see that. In fact, one of my mentors, who at the time was the highest paid consultant and coach to businesses, was traveling first class and he happened to sit next to a guy whose company was in the cover of a magazine. <clears throat> and he didn't know it at the time, but he was reading the magazine and the guy next to him says, oh, that's my company. And so my friend asked him, he said, well, hey, how did you guys get there? And he started to give him these sort of, you know, well, we did A and then we did B and then we did C. And then later on, it was a long flight, uh, several hours later and many drinks afterwards, my friend Don asked a question again. He's thinking he's going to get a different answer this time. So he says, hey, listen, so how exactly did you get your company from this level to this other level? And the guy looks at him, smiles, picks up his glass and says, hell if I know, and takes a drink. And then he explains to Don, look, man, we just had a vision. We had a goal. We just started going for it. And we just kept iterating. We had no idea what we were doing. We just kept figuring it out. Isn't that interesting? What makes the great great? So Michelangelo was known as the greatest sculptor. And if you've seen his sculptures, you probably agree. And here's the difference with Michelangelo. When he saw a piece of marble, he said, I see what's in the marble. And then I chip away at what the marble isn't. So he, when he saw the David... Remember, the David was a piece of marble that was cracked that nobody thought could be worked on. And so this marble went from patron to patron, went from person to person because nobody would work on it. All these other sculptures are like, oh, you can't work on the marble, it's cracked. Michelangelo said, I can work on that marble because I see what's in the marble. He saw the David before the David was the David. What makes the great great is that they see something in advance before it's there and then they chip away at the unessential until they get to what was originally there that wasn't the marble. Does that make sense? So the guy with the company, he knew what he wanted the company to be like. He knew what he thought the company could be. So he began to take action and to iterate and to uncover whatever wasn't part of the vision or the image or what he saw the company to be, he just kept eliminating it. Success isn't always an addition. Success sometimes is an elimination. But you have to first see it in order to make it happen. Remember the great book by Maxwell Maltz, Psycho-cybernetics. And this surgeon, right? Maxwell Maltz was a surgeon. And he talked about how sometimes patients would come and want a little bit of a tuck behind the ear or something facial reconstructive for plastic surgery. And he began to do some experiments. He began to take people and then put them under general anesthesia and then have them come out, unwrap them, and say, look, don't you look better now? I made these minute changes these minimal changes in how you look that makes you better looking. But he never touched them. 
And they would say, oh, yes, I look so much better. And, and they'd be happier and they'd be more successful because their self-image changed. They saw something different. Michelangelo was great, not just because he could sculpt it, because the technique of sculpting was probably passed on to a lot of different sculptors, and some might have had similar techniques. What, make my, what made Michelangelo great was the ability to see what was there before it was already there. What makes you great in anything you've ever done is you see it before it's there. That is the trick. That is the common thing that every single successful and happy person does or has done is they see things before they do things. They see what's already there. So, remember the story, and this was told originally by Zig Ziglar, and I don't know if he invented the story or not, but the story was about this. In the old ancient days, they used to exchange cows for wives. You know, you go and you say, okay, I'm going to I want this beautiful girl here. I, I, I exchange five cows to the parents and they, they get married, right? They change cows for wives. So Zig Ziglar tells the story that this, this farmer had three daughters and he marries the first one for, you know, two cows. And then he marries the third one for three cows. But the other one, the, the daughter that was left, really wasn't getting any suitors. She was, according to the father, not the best looking girl and not the, you know, most... Uh, I guess, you know, nicest girl, whatever his terminology is. So he expected she would stay home. And yet, a little while later, this prince from off land shows up. And the prince says, I want to marry your daughter. So the, the farmer says, wow, you know, you're a prince. What would you want my daughter for? And he says, well, because I believe that she is to be my wife. And, and I think she'll be the perfect bride for me. And the farmer says, oh, okay, well, let me bring her. You have to see her first, right? I mean, have you seen my daughter? So he brings out the daughter and says, look, she's not the prettiest. She's kind of homely and, you know, and she doesn't really cook that well. And, you know, she doesn't really sew things that well. You know, I don't know. But uh, if you want to marry her, I'll take a calf. And the prince says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you 10 cows. And the farmer says, oh, my gosh, 10 cows? That's a lot. I've never in my life heard anybody giving 10 cows as a suitor for a daughter that I, I can't accept your 10 cows and the prince says i insist take the 10 cows and i'll marry your daughter and of course after some cajoling the farmer agreed the prince takes the daughter and he sails off into his land so the father doesn't hear from the daughter for about a year or two and then he gets a letter a couple years later saying dear father so i haven't been able to write i've been very busy i've had a lot of stuff to learn i'm coming into town i'd love to see you and the whole town now prepares for this return of this prince from the off land, right? From the sort of faraway land. And sure enough, the prince shows up. And it's a big boat. And the boat's beautiful. And he's got all his guards and riches. And the whole town's gathered at the port. And they can't wait to see the prince and what he brings. And sure enough, the prince shows up. And he's just dashing. So handsome and so perfectly groomed. And he's got the perfect latest fashion of the times. And he... Stands tall and chest down. He just looks really good. And next to him is a beautiful woman. She is just drop dead gorgeous. And she is smiling. And she is happy. And she looks amazing. And the farmer sees them and then he bows his head. And he's disappointed because he realizes at that point in time that his daughter is nowhere to be seen. So now he's sad. The prince comes down with his what appears to be new bride, 
and he walks among the town folk, and they all revere and clap and say, wow, look at the prince, isn't he great? And he walks up to the farmer, and he says to the farmer, he says, how are you doing? It's nice to see you. And the farmer doesn't look up and says, oh, your highness, nice to see you too. And I'm sorry my daughter wasn't good enough for you. And uh, if you want your 10 cows back, I'm, I'm happy to give you the 10 cows back. And the lady next to him, with her hand, lifts up the head of the farmer by the chin and looks into his eyes and says, Dad, it's me. Don't you recognize me? The farmer looks up, takes a good look at the lady, and it turns out it is his daughter. He begins to weep and begins to cry, and he is now beside himself. I didn't recognize you. Oh, my gosh, look at the change. You're so beautiful. You're so nice. You're so wonderful. Wow, aren't you amazing? And he's sobbing and looks at the prince, and he says, How, how did this happen? How did you transform my daughter? She was homely. She wasn't worth more than a half a calf. How did you do this? And the prince looked at the farmer and said, Well, you saw her as a one-calf woman. I saw her as a ten-cow bride, and I began to treat her as a ten-cow bride, and therefore she became a ten-cow bride. Now, the story is a bit corny, and it's a bit archaic and ancient, and you know we can pick it apart. The moral of the story is incredible. He saw, much like Michelangelo, what was there with her before, and therefore she became what he saw. Does that make sense? When I first started my company, I, I hired ex-cons, ex-drug addicts, you know, electricians or making $1,000 a month. I took anybody and everybody that had certain attributes, and we used to call ourselves the Islands of Misfit Toys because these people really were sort of unemployable to a certain extent, or they would, you would never assume or never guess that they'd be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars selling computer supplies, you know, ink and toner on the phone. Nobody, right? They made more than doctors and attorneys. Nobody thought these individuals were going to be or become anything substantial in terms of monetary gain. Yet, how was I able to take these guys who were making no more than $1,000 a month? I mean, you know, I took an a, a, a electrician that was making $1,000 a month. I took somebody who used to push carts at Costco, you know, making, I think, 2500 bucks a month at the time. Unemployed, an ex-con who had gotten out of prison for drug-related uh, crimes, so he wasn't making any money. And every one of them, bar none, made a minimum of $150,000 a month and upwards of a half a million dollars selling in container. How did we do it? Well, you can say that our sales training is exemplary and the best of the race, and that's probably true, right? I mean, and I did it through trial and error. I first figured out how I did it, and then I taught it, and I became really good at teaching it. So yes, I agree with you. That is true. So we can check that to be accurate. However, there were some people that we hired that didn't make it. They had the same training, but they didn't make it. What makes the great great? I saw in them what they could become. I saw in them what they were actually. I saw them as a six-figure income earner. So I treated them as such. But if they didn't see themselves as a six-figure income earner or a multiple six-figure income earner, they didn't make it. What makes a great great is how they see things before things are. Does that make sense? 
everything we've done in our lives, you and me included, every success we've had by your definition and by my definition was surely because we saw something before it became a reality. Now, just seeing it doesn't make it true, right? Just seeing it doesn't make it appear. We have to see it. We have to have faith. We have to work. We have to emotionalize it, right? There are other attributes to that principle that we must employ in order to achieve something great. When Michelangelo saw the David, he didn't just see it and go, okay, marble, now mold yourself, right? It didn't work that way. He saw the David and he says, now I've got to get away. I have to now strip anything and everything that isn't the David. When you see your child, if you have children, do you see something there that isn't there yet that could be there that's great? And do you do things to make it so? When you see your company, do you see something there that's great that isn't there yet that could be there if you chipped away at anything that isn't that? Does that make sense? So let me give an example. We now know that the brain, the unconscious mind, operates by habit. Habits are very finicky in the sense that you can employ habits very quickly. And once a habit gets started, the more it continues, the harder it is to break. Except it's not that hard to break if you catch it at the right time. So let's assume, just for, you know, kicks and giggles, that you have a daughter like I do, and she's a dancer like mine is. So my daughter is a dancer for the school. Now, she's not a hip-hop dancer or a cheerleader, but something in the middle. It's called the bell. They, they dance kicks and things of that nature. So my daughter, when she went to try out, because there's junior varsity and there's varsity, she went to try out. In her mind, the first time she tried out, she didn't see herself making it to the varsity. Sure enough, she didn't make a varsity. She made JV Bell, which was fine. We were happy with it. And then she became captain of the JV Bell. The next year, this last year, she was to try out to become a Bell. So I kept telling her over and over again, I already see you, not as a Bell. I see you already performing the audition and getting it. In other words, I kept telling her how she would be look or she would look like if and when she did the audition, she would look like somebody who's already a bell. She would tell me, oh, dad, you know, maybe I'm not as good. Well, who knows what, right? But I kept seeing that. Eventually, she began to talk not about seeing herself as a bell necessarily, but seeing herself doing the work that gets her to become a bell. See, Michelangelo saw the David and then he saw himself doing the work in order to make the David appear. Oftentimes, we get bamboozled, if you would, into thinking that just because you think of something, it appears. And you just because, well, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see my company look like this. I'm going to see myself look like this. I'm going to see my kids look like this. Good. That's awesome. Fantastic. But isn't there another piece of that puzzle? Isn't there a little step, the action, like we talked about last time, in order to actually do the work? If you've been seeing yourself achieve whatever you want, but you haven't been seeing yourself iterating, if you haven't been seeing yourself like the CEO that sat next to Don in the first class, he had a vision of his company. And then he had a vision of them just doing whatever it took of iterating, right? Of trying things and trying things and trying things. That didn't work. That didn't work. And what we think about, we think of failure. Oh, I don't want to fail. But isn't failure just eliminating the marble that isn't the David? Think about it. 
when Michelangelo sculpts to David, he's chipping at the marble. And the only way to make the David appear is to chip away at anything that in the marble that isn't the David. Oh, this isn't, this, it needs to, this can't be there because once I click it, I can start to see the nose. Chuk, 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 and he gets away at it, right? So for my daughter, when she's going to audition for a bell, she has to see everything that isn't her achieving getting into the bell and eliminate that. When a company moves forward, we have to see, well, what is not working? And the things that aren't working aren't part of the company. Does that make sense? Gosh, I really hope I'm explaining this right. If I'm not, then, you know, shame on me, right? So if we think of a company as a piece of block, or, or if you think of yourself as a piece of block, or your family, your wife, your kids, whatever. If you think of it as a piece of block like the Michelangelo, or David doing, uh, sorry, Michelangelo doing the David, let's think of a company as a big piece of block. And you can see the company, the revenue, the number of employees, whatever your vision is. And then you begin to chip away. The only way to do that is to find out what's not working. This guy kept iterating and trying things much like you have in your life when you've tried to succeed at something. As you then succeed and fail, you realize that piece of marble doesn't belong as part of the David. Therefore, I need to get rid of it. It's through trial and error that we're able to make our visions come true. The only way for Michelangelo to sculpt the David or the Madonna is to remove anything that isn't that. The only way for you and I to make our companies great or to make our lives great is to remove everything and anything that isn't what the company should be and isn't what our lives should be. Now, this doesn't mean you fire employees necessarily, although it could. It means that you try as much as you possibly can. You iterate until something works. And when that thing works, it becomes part of the company because it was always part of the company. You just had to get rid of the things that weren't part of the company or weren't part of your, your lifestyle or whatever in order to achieve that vision. What makes the great great is the sense of destiny. What makes the great great is a vision. Not just a small vision, but a large vision in everything they do. Now, I say large not in the sense of, you know, your company should be a billion dollars or, you know, you should look like a chiseled, super fit person. Not at all. I use the word large in the sense that you have to decide what that is for you. You have to decide what matters to you. What matters to you so much so that you're willing to trade your life for it. Because you and I both know, we've heard this a thousand times, right? We're not going to get out alive and we're going to trade a life for something. And Work is part of what we do. So if you're a salesperson, as an example, and you're making, I don't know, $50,000 a year. If that's the best you can do, we call that large. If that's not the best you can do, we don't call that large. If you're not achieving the income you want to achieve, then chances are you're only seeing yourself at that limit. Or if you see yourself earning more money, guess what? You're probably not doing the actions you should be doing in order to get yourself to that level because it does take work, right? It does take effort. Michelangelo Sculpted the David by working. It took him years. This gentleman grew his company. It took him years. But what they did do that the people who aren't great don't do is they had a vision themselves of what it's supposed to look like. What made John Adams great is he saw America as an independent nation. 
with a law of constitution and a bill of rights. And then he went and he worked to make it so. When he died at the age of 90 on July 4th, his last words reportedly were, Jefferson lives. And the reason he said those last words, Jefferson was a dear friend towards the end of his life. They were dear friends and they had 12 years they didn't speak to each other because Jefferson was pretty gnarly when he was uh, campaigning for presidents and did some things to Adams that weren't cool. But then they recapitulated their relationship and became friends. He said that because at least Jefferson could continue this legacy, this strive to make the U.S. the greatest country in the world. What's your vision? Not just for your company. What's your vision for your life? What kind of person are you? Are you loyal? Are you loving? Do you have integrity? Do you have character? Do you have ambition? If not, would you like to? What makes the great great is they see things before the things become reality and they go to work to make that happen. Any book you read, any podcast you listen to, anything you do, you'll find that to be a common thread. They saw something, they went to work to make it happen. And how they did that really varied a lot. You know, whether it was in politics or in business or, you know, in sports, whatever you want to call it. It all is very different in terms of the personality types and the tools, the tips and tricks and skills and principles. But the one thing, the one thing you will always find in common is they had a sense of vision of something and then they went to work to make it happen. And they kept at it and they just eliminated whatever wasn't part of the vision. Some people call that failing. In reality, it isn't failing. It's just uncovering and eliminating things. And what if instead of thinking about failure, we thought about, okay, well, that just isn't part of my sculpture. I thought it was, but it, it isn't. Therefore, I need to eliminate it. Let me keep on trying things until I find the essence of what my vision is. Anyway, I think you'll agree with me, perhaps, that in your life you've succeeded and you've been happy and you've done things because you've had a vision of those things and you've gone to work on them. Wherever you have faltered and you haven't achieved the things you thought you wanted to achieve, you might have had a vision, but you might not have had gone to work for it. Or you may have never thought about what does the vision look like. It's not that complicated. It's not easy. It can become somewhat difficult, right? You know, you do encounter obstacles and we do encounter all kinds of different things that ultimately challenge us mentally and physically and emotionally. You know, look, success is the ability to bear pain. Not be a pain, but to bear pain, right? And it's not physical pain. It's emotional pain. It's intellectual pain. That's the hardest part about success and happiness. People think it's rosy, right? I mean, come on, you know it's not true. People think it's all about, oh, you know, when I'm successful and I have money, everything's going to be great. There are no problems. That's not true at all. Your problems actually get bigger, but so do you. Remember being stronger, wiser, better, like Jim Rohn said? Yes, of course, the highs are higher, but the lows can be lower. And if you have a vision of what you want your life to be like, if you have a vision of what you want your company to be like, if you have a vision of your income, your wife, your kid, your husband, then it makes things easier. Look, and I'm not saying that you know it's all about vision and you should go read a bunch of stuff on vision. Just realize it's the thought into reality. And Napoleon Hill's thing can grow rich. That's the secret. The secret is, and he tells us in his, in his last book, right, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind, he says the secret in the book is Whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. That statement, that sentence was 
the secret, the real secret. And then W. Cummins Stone, my hero, added, whatever the mind of man can conceive it can, and believe it can achieve with PMA. And PMA was defined as the, added, the right attitude for any given situation. Not you, there's no problems, it's all rosy. On the contrary, W. Clement Stone had a lot of problems. In fact, his oldest son died from a heart attack. And that was, you know, his son was in his 50s at the time, and I think Clem was in his 70s. Of course, nobody ever wants to see that happen. So it's not like he had a perfect life with no problems, but he did ask he actually asked God for guidance and he gave gratitude for everything he ever had or happened to him, no matter what it was. And he developed an incredible attitude. We'll talk about that at some point in time. However, he always had this notion of whatever I can conceive and believe, that is, whatever I can envision, whatever I can see in my mind, if I go to work on trying to achieve it and I have faith and I work hard, then I, I will get it to happen because whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. What's your vision? What do you want to be reality? What's inside your head? Have you thought about that purposefully? What have you created already that maybe you didn't want in your life? What did you go to work on? Isn't that interesting? What makes the great great is a sense of vision backed with purpose. And then they go to work to make it happen. And the challenges and difficulties they come across are nothing more than a notice that those were not part of the company and the division. Thanks again for listening. I so very much appreciate you. And I really hope that this little chat had a positive impact in your life. I know I'm better for it. This is Marks Acosta Rubio. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful for you. Have an incredible day, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.